our scripture reader today is Miss Miranda Mar- or Manders. Like you're literally still in my phone as Manders. I've forgotten your name. Yeah. Uh, King's Kids, stay seated. She's going to do the scripture reading of the passage that we're going to talk about while you are gone. Um, and I, We just sang it. I am in awe of you. Uh, and today's passage is the Apostle Paul's attempt to show us, to remind us, to tell us why we should be in jaw-dropped, tear-stained, humble awe. Just even the word itself, awe, that's exact awe of why we are in awe of Jesus. From Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. (coughs) Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than others, or than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. King's kids, if you're in second grade on down, you are dismissed. The junior church? All right. The rest of you, stay there in Philippians chapter 2, covering verses 9 through 11 today. Uh, I could not think of a good title until after the bulletin was printed. So um, the title today is, you can just have to write it in. Grasp not, comma, grasp not, receive God. The idea being we are to not be a people who clamor and struggle and strive to get the blessings of God. We are a people who openly, honestly, willingly live open-handed and receive whatever God gives us. And in doing that, we don't just receive blessings. This is, this is key. The Christian faith is not about being blessed with things from God. It's about having God. It's about having that which is perfect and holy forever. Not just right now. If the Christian life is all about being prospered, healthy, wealthy, wise, and famous now, 
you're not winning. Nobody in here qualifies. Nobody in here has enough, has earned enough, or has enough likes to be considered winning or truly prosperous. And you can get that reputation in a bad way. Go invade a country and bomb people and kill people. You'll, you'll become infamous and everybody will know your name. You may even gain a lot of riches and wealth, but that's, that's not what we're here for, to gain. That's what Jesus is teaching us. We are here for the paradox of all paradox, to become the least and be accepted by the most, to serve all and then reign with God. Specifically, we're going to be focusing on verses 9, 10, and 11. Last week, I have a picture from last week. We ended with, this is not the mind of Christ. And this is not, Jesus was not grasping for authority. He was not trying to get back into heaven, nor was he clinging to his divinity when he came down to earth. But it says, he emptied himself and became a servant, even to the point of death on the cross. So the mind of Christ which Paul calls us to have in chapter 2, verse 2, have this mind among yourselves, thinking of others more than just of yourself. You do have to think of yourself, meet your own needs, otherwise you're no better than an infidel. Provide for yourself, provide for your family, but have enough to then think of others. Esteem others. Give to others. Open your lives and your homes and your wallets to others. Help other people. Don't just grasp for the things that you think will make you happy, meet your own needs, but then look to the needs of others. That's the mindset Paul expects a church to have. So don't over-personalize that, even though you need to do it personally. It needs to be the mind of all of us together, that we're not just looking out for our own good, but for the good of others and others and others. That's openness, open-mindedness. We keep the doors monitored, on a Sunday, they may be locked, but we have somebody there. If somebody comes, they can come in. That's our public service. You may come to church. We are not hiding. We're not underground. We're not secretive. You don't have to pay at the door to get in. We're open. All of our lives need to be that way. That you are graceway to the rest of the world. So this is... This is not the mind of Christ. And this week, next picture, this is God willingly, openly handing all authority, all dominion to Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, humbled himself so perfectly that now God, in all of his authority, hands all rule and reign and dominion, the crown of all crowns, to his Son. Paul says it this way, for this reason also, verse 9, God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on Jesus the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes, and amen. 
finally, it is finished. Think for just a second about Jesus' earthly life. Yes, he's the incarnation. He's the son of God who becomes the son of man. He has God as his father, but he has Mary as his mother. He lives a pretty normal, unremarkable human life, and yet he's the son of God. Write this down. In proportion to his personal holiness, personally, Jesus is perfectly holy and great. In proportion to his personal holiness, Jesus, in his lifetime, received the least amount of honor ever. In proportion to how, who he really was, the almighty son of God, flawless, Everybody on earth should have bowed down to him, but they didn't. So in proportion to his personal greatness, he received the least amount of honor ever. Did some people get it? Yes. A couple of ancient saints scooped him up in the temple and declared, here's the son of God. John the Baptist, there is the lamb of God. A few people got it. Peter, you are the Christ, the son of God. We love you, Humana. Peter got it. That's so sad to hear. Some people got it, right? Some people gave him the honor that was due to him, right? A woman breaks an alabaster box and anoints his feet. A leper healed comes back and says, Thank you. Um, the pool of Siloam. A broken man believes, defends Jesus to the Pharisees. I don't know who he is, but he healed me. I was born broken. Now I'm healed. Maybe he is the Messiah. Some people got it. Very, very few, though. And in proportion to how great Jesus really is, he received the least amount of honor any human ever deserved. He deserved it all. And he got very, very little. That's humility. That's humbling himself. He wasn't clamoring. He wasn't striving. He wasn't grasping. He who was the greatest received the least. He who was all glorious received the least amount of glory and recognition. You think you've got it hard at work because you do a good job and nobody pats you on the back. You think you're a good husband because you did the dishes and nobody said anything about it. Suck it up. Do what you're supposed to do. Humble yourself and stop looking for the praise of people. We need to be a people who do what is right when nobody's looking, even if nobody says anything. But especially if our parents tell us to do something. you got to throw that in there for the kids, right? Honor your father and your mother. There's great gain in that. And so I turn to Isaiah 53. And this attitude of Jesus, <laughs> he simply fulfills the prophecy about him 
because God revealed who Jesus was before Jesus revealed himself. And in Isaiah 53, 3, a prophet who I don't think fully understood what he was writing wrote this down about the coming Son of God. He was despised and rejected by mankind. He's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom we would hide our faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. How would, how's that for a job description? You're going to be despised. You are going to be rejected. It's going to be full of sorrow and grief. People are going to hide their faces from you. Again, you will be despised. And people will not understand at all who you really are. They will esteem you not. And Jesus came anyway. And Jesus volunteered. And Jesus said, sign me up. And Jesus said, game on, challenge accepted. Who will I send? <laughs> Who can God send? They won't listen to Moses. They won't listen to David. They won't listen to any of the prophets. Perhaps if I send my son. And we remember the parable. The keepers of the vineyard killed the son. We killed the son. We are that people. And he who was rejected, who laid down his life for the father, also laid down his life to give birth, new birth, to many sons and daughters. He was despised. This is why God has exalted him. The last was placed first. God esteemed him. God delighted in him. God raised him from the dead. The least became the greatest. The rejected became the chief cornerstone. And the only begotten son of God became the second Adam and the firstborn of many sons and daughters. It didn't look like Jesus did much. It didn't look like he won. Because he wasn't out to win. He was out to obey. He knew God's plan when nobody else did. Behold the goodness of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. In all his humility, he never grasped, he never clamored, he never complained. And so God gave Jesus Everything. This is an amazing thing about Jesus. And I think we get it. Have you ever been around somebody who just did right? They just did their job. They did their chores. 
without talking back, without arguing. They, they got it. They, just, they, were, they were singing about it. They were happy. They didn't have a bad attitude. They just did what, even if you told them to do it, or maybe it's something that you expect them to do all the time. It's their job. It's their chore. It's their responsibility. But, but when somebody does it, you want to reward them. You, there, there's this thing inside of us, especially if you're a parent or a grandparent, and you see a kid or a grandkid just do the right thing. You just want to. I mean, you just want to throw money at them. All oh, the kids are probably great. But we don't throw the money at those who do this. That's the key. We threw the money who who throw the money at those who do this. Yes, thank you. We want to reward those who, from the right spirit and the right attitude and the right mindset of being part of the family, of being responsible, of being who God calls them to be, we want to reward those people. How much more when Jesus does everything that God the Father wants him to do? Verses 9 through 11 is God the Father saying, again, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. He says it at the baptism. He says it here. He says it at the ascension. Why would God allow Jesus to ascend back into heaven? Because God was ready to throw a party. My son is home. I want you back. And Jesus has paved the way for more people to join him. What happened on the cross? What happened? What really happened on the cross? Um, first, God the Father unleashed his full, uncensored wrath upon God the Son. On the cross, first and foremost, we need to understand that God... The Father was crushing Jesus under the weight of our sin and our iniquity. God had an axe to grind with humanity. Humanity disobeys Him, has broken every covenant He's ever tried to make with us. Humanity has fallen. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. Our very best righteousness before God is filthy rags. We get this. This is Romans Road basic theology. We are broken. So on the cross, Jesus accepts God's wrath for our sin. And it kills him. It makes him suffer. It's the crucifixion. But the Holy Spirit of God uses this substitutionary atonement. He died in my place. Substitution. The Holy Spirit uses what Jesus did to pierce our hearts with guilt and shame. When you really understood what he did on the cross, taking the wrath of the Father for you in your place, it should smite you. It should humble you. It should put you in your place, which is gratitude, thankfulness, and deep, deep, Love for Jesus. This is where our love for Jesus starts. 
but I haven't even talked about his love for you yet. And that's kind of fascinating to me. I love Jesus because he loves the Father and he stepped between the Father and me. I love him for what he did there. That's the first wave that should wash over us in seeing that he is stepping between us and God. And it's not that God the Father is vengeful. He's holy and he is right and we are wrong and we deserve his wrath. We deserve it. We've invited it. We've shaken our fists. We've rebelled. We've done what we know we shouldn't do. We violated our own conscience. Even if we didn't know anything about this book or any of these laws, we know we haven't lived up to who we know we need to be. Therefore, we haven't lived up to who God has made us to be. We deserve all the wrath. Jesus steps in front on the cross. That's the first thing. But at the same time, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the second thought we need to ponder is God the Father unleashed full praise and honor upon that obedient, flawless son. Yes. God unleashed his wrath on Jesus. Jesus gave up the spirit. Jesus succumbed to death. Jesus was buried. God rose him from the grave. First, God crushed him. And then, God exalted him. We like to think about Jesus as king high and lifted up but he he did not get there without first being crushed this is what makes his elevation so much higher and so special because he didn't get to be king jesus by grabbing for the crown by fighting for the crown but by laying his life down and so god the father kicked that to the side and gave him all authority and power, all dominion over everything on earth or in heaven, in the physical realm or the spiritual realm, everything. God, the Father, gives Jesus everything. God with Jesus is all in. That is amazing. If God is that way with Jesus, are you? Do you see your life as like, I'm playing, these, I'm playing this hand, I'm, I'm just playing what's dealt to me, I'm just in control here. <laughs> Forget it. You can never win. You can never be clever enough. You can't count your cards or the other person's cards that are dealt in this life. You can't manage everything perfectly. Something's always going to come along. Somebody's always going to come along who can either take your stuff, steal your stuff. But they can't take away anything that you have already given to Jesus. All in. That resonates with me. 
Yes, God unleashed his full wrath, but then God unleashes full praise. Jesus Christ lived and died open-handed. Write that down. He grabbed for nothing. Verse 9, for this reason. He grabbed for nothing. He died empty-handed for this reason. God has highly exalted him. And God has bestowed or crowned on Jesus the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. We're not there yet. Not every knee does currently bow to the name of Jesus. Patience, my friends. It will. Some will do it willingly. Some will have the Spirit of God break them. And when they even confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, it's not with a heart of gratitude or repentance. It was with fierce, angry acknowledgement that they're not happy that Jesus is Lord. That's in the life to come. But right now, there are some people who do bow the knee, who do confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. You and I need to live and die open-handed. And this is what faith is. Faith is a willingness to accept whatever God brings into your life and either aim it back to God or confess it to God or release it to God and turn it all back into God. Jesus lived and died open-handed. We need to live and die open-handed. Why? When it comes down to it, I'm all in with Jesus, and I owe Jesus my spirit, my soul, not just my external life, but everything that is me. I owe him. You owe him. And you owe him you owe him more than your career. You owe Jesus more than just your vocation or your calling. Jesus doesn't want 10%. He wants a thousand percent. And and you in 100 lifetimes of giving 100% could not even begin to pay him back for what he has done for you. With, we sing it, with 10,000 tongues in your mouth, you could not give him enough worship and praise and honor. You can't. We can't pay him back, and yet we owe him everything, and then some. So how should we live? Well, it seems like we live in pain and sorrow and from Struggle to struggle. Have you ever thought this? I have. God, God has asked too much from me. Oh, my, the darkest points of my life, I've thought this. That's not the blank, so don't write it down yet. But have you, like, 
I thought this a few different times in my life. Lowest parts of my life. The stress. Um, the loneliness. Seeing the mountain that is in front of you and realizing, man, I can't do that. This is too much. It's too hard. God, you're asking too much from me. Cross that out. That is a lie. God can never ask too much from you. It is impossible. You owe him everything. Jesus died in your place where you should be now crucified and dying and suffering for your sin. He died for you. You owe him everything. He can never ask too much from you. Well, what, but, but I might die. To live is Christ and to die is what? If dying is gain and God asks you to die, that's a good thing. And we act like it's a bad thing. Hello, we're the ones who are backwards, not God. And when we have tension and struggles with what God asks from us, it's usually because we're not remembering this. Jesus Christ has a name which is above your name. And everything bows to him, including you, not him bowing to you. He doesn't come groveling, oh, will you please, will you please serve other people? He's not asking you to do things. He's Lord. He says, love your neighbors as I have loved you. Yes, sir. That's too hard. You don't know them. They're, they're bad people. They're wicked. They're dirty. They're evil. They talk bad about, oh, they esteem you not. They despise you. Oh, they reject you. Oh, I'm so. <laughs> Jesus went through it all. And I might get frustrated with myself. Not Jesus doesn't act that way towards me. You know what he says? My son. It's usually when I've calmed down to come off my high mountain <laughs> that that still small voice says, <clears throat> you owe me everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you remember when you confessed me as Lord? When you asked me to save you? Uh, oh, oh, yeah. That was free, right? Yeah. Well, it cost me everything. Oh, yeah. So, so how much of your life, Craig, did you actually give me? All of it? Part of it? Some of it? Sometimes, all the time. Check yourself. We give God everything. He gives us Jesus. We should not freak out anymore. And nothing he asks us to do is too much. Whether you live or whether you die, you're his. 
whatever situation he puts you into, his spirit can help you through it. Either endure it for a really long time or pull you through it. He may heal you. He may rescue you. He may bring somebody else. He can change things in a second. Nothing's impossible for him. Nothing, not a single thing. It is not too much for you to dedicate your suffering to Jesus. Have you ever thought of that? It is not too much for you to dedicate your pain to Jesus. It is not too much for you to dedicate your cancer to the glory of God. It is not too much for you to dedicate your singleness to Jesus. It is not too much for you to commit to full-time ministry. That's not too much. Your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. It is not too much for you to commit your retirement to foreign missions. It is not too much to sell your land, your businesses, your earthly goods, and give it to kingdom works. It is not too much to live a quiet and peaceable life in the middle of an unbelieving generation. Nothing God asks you to do is too much. Not a single thing. He may bring rebellious children into your household. He may bring raucous meth head neighbors into your <laughs> backyard. He may bring terrible suffering. He may bring an army to invade your city. God is in charge of all things. Anything he asks you to go through, you have discernment with the Spirit. You have discernment in a body of believers. You have discernment in God's Word. You have help. You're never alone in those decisions. Get help. Ask for help. Be a part of the body. Cooperate. Pray for one another, love one another, forgive one another, meet one another's needs, and also meet the needs of others. Take the focus off yourself. God knows what he's doing in all these commands. Paul knows what he's doing when he starts talking about the mind of Christ, and he goes straight to Jesus. He cuts through all the junk that's in the rest that we call life, and he gets to the heart of the matter. Be like him. God, highly exalted Jesus. I want to be exalted. I want to be lifted up. And not in a prideful way. I want to be with God. I know in His presence is fullness of joy. That's where I want to be. How am I going to get there? Humble yourself. That's how Jesus got there. Well, can I do a bunch of great things instead? <laughs> I want to do a bunch of great things. I want to do things that change the world. It's like, no. There may be one or two. There's a Billy Graham here. There's a great preacher here. There's a great such and such here and a great doctor here. And they're, they're not that many. But there are millions upon millions of people around the throne exalting and glorifying and shining with the very sh brightness of God himself. You know who those people are? Us. <laughs> the saints from Enid. Enid nowhere, Oklahoma. Or Fairview, if the Lord wills. <laughs> <laughs> or Cleo Springs, or Garber, or, or Hennessy, or whatever. You <laughs> to be exalted into God's presence is to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and let him in due time, he will lift you up. The Psalms talk about this often. 
David humbles himself over and over again because of his sin. Yes, because of his situations. Yes, but whatever he's going through, he humbles himself and he's always asking God to have the final word. He's always asking God to bring deliverance. He's always asking God to do what only God can do. This is what makes him a man after God's own heart. Not the fact that he was a terrible dad, a terrible husband, a womanizer, a murderer. Those are not the things that make him a man after God's own heart. It's the fact that he keeps coming back to God and saying, I'm sorry, help me. He pleads with God for grace. You can do that. To whatever degree you are like David, come back for grace. Not too much. Whatever God asks from you. Why? Because nothing is off limits for God. Write that down. Nothing. Nothing in your life is off limits. If you understand these verses today, that God has bestowed on Jesus the highest name, that every knee will bow before Christ, whether they are spiritual beings in heaven, human beings on earth, or anything that has died and passed away and is under the earth, everything will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and all of that will bring glory to God the Father, that He knows what He's doing. He knows what he's doing. It all comes back to God. So nothing is off limits. Jesus is highly exalted and we owe him everything. So do it. I want today to be a day of recommitment for you. Where you willingly, genuinely, joyfully, wholeheartedly, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, you Take a second out of your life and confess. Jesus, I have not lived like this. But you are my Lord. Make that true today and tomorrow. You need to pray that again and again and again. You need to find a time when you literally take a knee and bow your head and say, Jesus, my retirement is yours. My health is yours. My kids are yours. My job is yours. Not my will be done, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what I want. God, I need your name to be hollowed, hallowed, exalted, lifted up, made much of through me, with me. I'm all in. I come to you with open hands. Give me whatever you want. Can you pray that way? Are you willing to pray that way? What if he gives you Pain, sorrow, suffering. Well, I don't want that. Okay, go find your corner and pout, okay? That's, that's not the mind of Christ. Jesus said, Father, whatever you want. And God said, I want this. And Jesus said, okay. If God, if there's any other way that this cup would pass, Nevertheless, 
Jesus prayed about it. You should pray about it. But Jesus gave even, even his understanding of what was going to happen. He brought it before the Father and asked him, is there any other way? And God said no, and he did it. No exceptions. I don't know what God is calling you to do, but it's great. It's wonderful. It's going to be a sacrifice. Your dreams, your career, your plans, your kids, your life, your retirement, your stuff, whatever. It's always a sacrifice. Everything God asks us to do is a sacrifice. That's, that's kind of the point. Uh, he's God, you're not. He says do, you say yes. That's totally the point. He said that to Jesus, and over and over again, Jesus said yes, yes, yes. And I love this phrase. We've talked about the cross a lot today. It's been on my heart a lot. That is his chief example of humbling himself, and for that reason, God has exalted him. And I keep flashing back to these words on the cross where Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Wow. If there is a, a heavenly theater where we can go watch clips throughout human history, uh, it, as amazing as it might be to watch some glorious battles, as amazing as it might be to watch some miracles, um, this is number one on my list. This is humility. This is humbleness. He is who he is because of what he said and what he did. This is why God has highly exalted him. He took everything he had, every ounce of life and breath and blood. He committed it all. He's worth you singing about. If you're artistic, Jesus is worth you creating something. He's worth you writing him a poem or a song. He's worth you giving him your whole day at work. God, whoever you bring before me today, I will share the gospel. He's worth it. Whatever teacher assaults me today with homework, I'm going to look at them and say thank you. Whatever my coach asks me to do, I'm going to humble myself and say, yes, sir. Whatever my parents ask me to do, actually, I better go back. I better do all the things they've already asked me to do. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. Here's how we humble ourselves. We commit our spirit, our life, our breath to God through other people. God is invisible, and it's easy to make spiritual commitments and never follow up on them. But when you make a spiritual commitment to God to love your spouse, to meet the needs of other people, now we've got some traction. We've got some skin in the game. That's really where it comes into play. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And here we are approaching Easter. This phrase from Jesus is the mind of Christ. It was his mind from incarnation all the way through to crucifixion. I don't think there was ever a time, ever a moment in Jesus' life where this was not 
his mind. He has always had this on his mind. He committed himself to God, not just in a hard time, not just in a crucial moment, but from birth, from before birth, from eternity past, when God had a plan and Jesus said, I'm on it. The Son has always committed himself to the Father. He's always done those things which have pleased God. All those things, every time and forever, Jesus has done what God has asked him to do. So it is not, or at least it should not, be startling. <laughs> it should not surprise us. Why has God exalted Jesus? Oh, well, because he's perfect. More than that. Because he has humbled himself and done whatever God has asked him to do. In the sermon discussion questions that are online, I've typed this out. So you don't have to write this down if you're going to look at it or print it off later. Here's a summary of Philippians 2, 9 through 11. I've, I've got it on the next screen. The mind of Christ trusts God in present sorrows while looking forward to future exaltation in God's glorious presence. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and every sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, but has now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Yes, Jesus. Amen. Stand with me. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, the mind of Christ, that by testing you may discern the will of God, the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. God, we come before you today and we confess right now, Jesus is Lord. Give us the opportunity and time this week. Remind us to get alone with you. Help us to find a quiet place where we can bow our knee.
and bow our heads and say it again and again that you are our king. You are highly exalted. There is no name higher than yours. There is no one with more authority over our lives and nothing you ask of us is too much. Nothing. We confess you are our Lord. So help us to let go of all the things we are worrying about. You're in charge. Help us to confess our sins because you died for them. Help us to release our plans and our futures to you because you know what is best. We confess everything to you. We want to be a people who instead of grasping are all in. We are empty handed before you right now, God, and we say you are God. Show up and help us to live by faith. To live by faith and not by sight. We have many heavy needs on our hearts, brothers and sisters, family members, our own suffering and our own pain. God, find a way to bring glory to yourself through everything that bothers us and teach us to trust you even when we are despised, even when we have grief. Teach us to trust you. And get up tomorrow and live by faith again. And no matter what the world throws at us, to get up the next day and live by faith again. And get up the next day and live by faith again and again and again until you call us home. Help us. Help us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.